The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, please go to www.folfcrc.com. Well, for, uh, I feel like I, I owe you a little bit of a roadmap on where we've been and where we're trying to go. If you've been here for very long, you know that for some time we've been trying to unpack what it means to be saved to as Christians. Christianity is not just being saved from. Now, don't get me wrong. Don't you like what we're saved from? Yeah, me too. I'm really glad to be forgiven of my sins. I'm really glad to be saved from slavery to sin, just not knowing God, not being able to live for him, and being under, quite frankly, right, his, his judgment, his wrath. We're saved from that. We've been forgiven. But it could be so easy, and I think this happens a lot, uh, it could be so easy just to think that that's all that there is. Uh, so now what, right? Be a generally nice person and go to Christian social hour occasionally, you know, when you can. Um, what else is there? And so we've been looking at this for, for months now, what we're saved to. But the bottom line is we're saved to the incredible, what, terrifying adventure of life with God. We have his Holy Spirit in us. He's changing us, making us like Jesus. It's not easy, but it's incredible. It's amazing. We're his children. We're alive uh, by his spirit according to his word. So we've seen some beautiful things. I hope they've affected you. They have me. Uh, but I want to tell you now where we're going to go just to wrap this up. In a few weeks, I want to do some thinking about heaven because if you don't get to go to heaven, you kind of miss out on what you were saved to in the end, right? That's it. So I want to think with you about heaven a little bit, and I need your help. I would love it if you could email me uh, some questions or doubts or concerns or fears you have about heaven, because I don't know about you, it's not always the easiest topic for me. Um, so send me what you think or what you want to hear about, about heaven. Uh, I would love to hear that. That'll help me prepare. But one last thing before heaven, one more theme to address. Huge aspect of our calling. It's our honor, our joy as Christians, and quite frankly, it's also our huge guilt complex and our great fear. So all I want to do today, July 4th, give you some hope and some freedom on this calling God has for you. And I want to do it kind of walking in through the back door. So I'm not even going to tell you what it is at first, so you can probably guess. But let's start with the prophet Joel. Let's just, let's just start there. Who is he? Well, he, was, he spoke for, for the Lord God to the people of Israel about the mid-500s, probably, B.C. And most likely, he's at the place in Israel where they have already gone to exile from judgment for their idolatry, right? And then, miraculously, amazingly, they've returned. So he's speaking to Israel now that they're, they're back home. And the problem he addresses is kind of the problem that a lot of the minor problems have to deal with, and that is the issue of passion. The problem was Israel at that time had no passion. They're just going through the motions. The temple wasn't big and beautiful. The king wasn't powerful. The economy wasn't strong. Yeah, they were home, but it wasn't like it used to be. It wasn't like it was supposed to be. And so they were just going through the motions. And the question that arises in these prophets is, does it really matter how we live? Does it really matter if we follow God? Because I don't know if you've noticed, but following God will mean there are some inconveniences. There are some difficulties. There are some challenges. It'll be hard to understand. And the question is, is it worth it? So have you ever had that feeling? Life seems normal. Life seems tedious. And, um, and you wonder if 
trusting God's word is really possible. You wonder if obeying God is really worth it. Anybody else ever had that sense? You know, it'd be, it'd be easier, I think, if there was immediate consequence that went with every action. So imagine uh, you're trying to get in shape. What would happen if every time you went to the gym, you, like, lost three pounds? Meow. You know? Every time you're, like, more buff. Every time you ate broccoli, you're, like, your skin is more beautiful, you know, or whatever. And what about if the converse was true? You know, you ate a donut, and, like, you saw, like, like you, you saw yourself losing health. What if there was immediate consequence? I don't know about you, but it would be easier for me to live healthfully. Because I'd see it happen, but, but for me, you know, it, it moves too slow. So, hey, you know, there's, there's not a consequence to eat more junk. And then you wake up six months later, and you're like, oh, I guess there was. Or, and the, and the, the other side is true as well. If you're, you show discipline in what you eat and you're exercising, you, you see results, I think, right, over time. Well, think about it spiritually. Um, is it important how you live, what you love, what you want, what you live for? Will it have a payoff in the end, one day, one way or the other? You know, what if you felt immediate consequences with every time you were rebellious against God, like you felt the warmth of hell or something? Every time you were obedient, you sacrificed, you heard the choirs of angels singing. You saw immediate payoff. Maybe it'd be easier to be fired up all the time. I don't know. But we don't. There are times of this, the normal the small, the investment where you don't see the results right away, and so you could think in that time, is this even worth it? And that's why the prophet Joel's big theme is the idea of the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is when God acts decisively for judgment and for salvation. Is when he acts decisively. And so Joel is trying to motivate the people of Israel with the reality that, look, your every day is building up to something. And there's going to be a day of the Lord when you reap the harvest of what you've been investing in. You're going to see judgment. It's going to come. You know, we could live off credit cards. Anybody tried to do that before? I want, I want this, and I can't afford it, but there's a way I can have it now. No interest for how long? You know, enjoy that. But then guess what? The how long passes and interest. Oh, interest. Life can be, there's, there's going to be a payout. The day of the Lord's going to come. You're, you're going to answer, right, for, for how you've lived one way or the other. And Joel is emphasizing the day of the Lord is coming. It's the tipping point where you see, oh, yeah, this matters. God will act decisively. And throughout Scripture, you get... Big versions of this, you know, exile, the day of the Lord, huge. And there's also smaller versions. In Joel, they're facing a, a, a locusts are coming, and there's a, a famine. And for them, that's day of the Lord. And then they repent, and God gives them a good harvest. It's the day of the Lord. It's, it's still a big deal, but it's smaller in scope. But may, maybe our whole lives are through this, are, are full of this in one way or the other. Like it says in Hebrews, it's given once for a man to die, and then... Then, then judgment, right? Then you, the day of the Lord for you, in a way, will be uh, the, the first death, as the Bible puts it. And then, of course, we can think of the day, capital D-A-Y, 
of the Lord when Jesus comes back. But the day I want to talk about here is in Joel chapter 2. Joel chapter 2, Joel promises an epic day of the Lord. And I want you to see these three major ingredients. So in Joel chapter 2, look at verse 30. One ingredient. God says, I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. 31, the sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord. So what's that all about? Wonders, fire, planetary stuff. At least here we can say, well, I'm not sure, but it's going to be amazing and it's going to be blatant. Is that good enough? First of all, amazing stuff you've never seen before. Crazy cosmic stuff. The second, it's going to be blatant. So everybody will see it. It's not hidden in a corner. It's not a secret. There it is. It's out there for all to see. Blatant wonders. That's the first thing that's going to be in this day of the Lord whenever it's coming. Second thing to see is in Joel 2, 28 and 29. In 28, Joel says, It'll come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. So let's just pause there. What's, what's God going to do? His spirit's going to come. We know as Christians, the third person of the Trinity, God himself, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, God's presence is going to come. And not only that, he's going to pour it out. So he's going to come liberally. And the, the old-fashioned use of the word generous, lavish. He's going to pour out his spirit. So the spirit's just going to be rich and thick and widespread, God's presence. In fact, we're supposed to see that in 28 and 29. Who's going to get the spirit? First of all, everyone, all flesh. Episode, il il illustration one, your sons and your daughters. So, so who gets it, boys or girls? Yes. And they're going to speak because of it. Did you see that? Your sons and daughters will what? They're going to speak. Not only that, your old men and your young men. So who's it for, the old or for the young? Okay? I'm too old. I can't do this. Nah, you're going to get the spirit. Oh, I'm too young. Wait till I'm older. Nah, you're going to get the spirit. Liberally, it's going to be poured out on everybody. Sons and daughters, old men, young men. So it just means... It, it means boys and girls, the old and the young, okay? And not only that, prophesy goes with dreams and visions. You're going to see God's revelation. You're going to know God's revelation. You're going to talk about it. Third one, verse 29. Who else is going to get the Spirit? Even the servants, even the male and female servants. So what this means is that even the seemingly unimportant are going to have the Spirit. So in this day, obviously, you don't have as many rights if you're an indentured servant, you're still going to get the Holy Spirit. doesn't matter who you... Do you get the point? It's, it's just going to come liberally. It's going to come to everyone. So the first one, blatant wonders. Second, spirit poured out liber, liberally. Third thing about this day, verse 32, it'll come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So salvation here will be more than just an idea, more than a theoretical idea. First of all, something will happen in the heart. What are people going to do? They're going to call on the name of the Lord. Can you envision a difference between believing in a theoretical idea of God and calling on his name? Right? One is, yeah, I know he's there. Meh, it may or may not be worth to follow him. I don't know. Calling on his name involves a humble desperation. 
God, I not only know you're there, I need you. I need connection with you. I need who you are. I need what you can do. I need you bad. I'm calling on you. Please come. It's emotive. It's passionate. God, I need you. Come. Call on the name of the Lord, who he is and what he's like. God, come. I need you. Save me. And what's going to happen to those who call on the name of the Lord? He's going to answer. He's going to answer. They're going to taste it. They're going to know it. They're going to see salvation. Gosh, this is exciting. Can you imagine hearing it for the first time? Your life is, you live in poverty Israel. Your new temple stinks, right? Is this even worth it? It's small. And Joel says the day's coming. A day is coming. Epic, huge, blatant wonders, liberal pouring out on the spirit. Everybody who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So when did the day come? 500 years later, this day came. Just pause and think about that for a moment. Does God keep his promises? Yes. Does he keep them on your timetable? Okay. Put that in your theological pipe and smoke it for a long time. Okay. Number one, the frustration. All who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. I called on you. Save me. Yes and no, okay? You call on the name of the Lord right now, you trust in Christ, he will give you what you need for right now. Absolutely, he'll save you. But it doesn't mean the disease will go away right now, right? It doesn't mean the problem's gonna go right now. The way he saves us now is he gives us what we need to get through it for his glory, okay? But will he save? Yes. You think 500, you, you think he for, he's not gonna forget his promise after 500 years he's gonna answer. Is he gonna answer every one? Yes. So we get to see now the answer. According to the book of Acts, this prophecy was fulfilled on the Feast of Pentecost. Uh, sometime 30-something A.D., right? And you remember Acts is the eyewitness history of the early church. And if you want to flip to Acts chapter 2, that might be helpful, or I'll have the highlights on the overheads. But in Acts chapter 2, it's the history of the early church. And here you have the Apostle Peter giving his first major sermon. Amazingly, thousands of people are gathered for this big festival in Jerusalem, and they come from a whole bunch of different places. They speak a bunch of different languages, and something amazing happens to give Peter this immense stage. And I want to show you what he said. Chapter 2, verse 22, look at what Peter said. Acts 2, verse 22. If you want to follow in your Bibles, that's page 910 in the chair Bibles. But Acts 2.22, I think we have a slide for this. Peter says, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and what? Wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. A couple things there. What happened when Jesus came? wonders and signs. Does that sound familiar at all? What was going to happen on the day of the Lord, according to Joel? Blatant wonders. You could, the miracles Jesus did blew everybody away, right? Imagine healing someone of a horrid disease or illness from a distance. And that's mad powers. That's mad skills, right? The centurion will be, hey, my servant's dying. And Jesus is like, eh, he's healed. I mean, how do you even know which guy it is? 
out there in the village? How do you even know what problem he has? She's like, yeah, I know who he is, and yeah, I can hit. And everybody's, ah, amazed. Not only that, you remember in the book of Joel, he started talking about the sun being dark. Now, Peter doesn't mention this in this sermon, but you and I will probably remember the story. What happens is Jesus is hanging on a cross. The whole thing goes dark. The land goes dark. Everybody knew this. What happened in the temple? The veil was torn from top to bottom. I'd have liked to have been near the room for that one. That thing was thick, inches thick. You don't just rip that in half. From top to bottom, it's like 30 feet tall. Huge statement. Hey, come into my presence now because of the cross. Wonders. And then Peter says at the end of 22, as you yourselves know. How do you say that to a crowd? You and I, we're trusting in a book. We're trusting in the testimony of eyewitnesses. But he's saying to this, to this crowd, you know what I'm talking about. You've heard about this. Remember Joel's promises there would be blatant wonders. And what has Peter just said? Jesus Christ came and there have been blatant wonders. Verse 23 of Acts 2, this Jesus delivered up according to the de definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Verse 24, God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. You want a, you want a blatant wonder? How's that for you? He predicted his death and resurrection, and then he did it. That's, that's fantastic. So do we have wonders? Check. Check. What about the spirit? Remember Joel's promise? What's going to happen? The spirit will be liberally poured out. Who's going to get it? All God's people. Boys or girls? No, yes. Old or young? Yes. Important or seemingly unimportant? Yes. What's happening in Acts chapter 2? What is it that caused this stir that Peter could even preach this message? Well, I want to back up a little bit. You remember Acts 1.8. Acts 1.8, the resurrected Jesus, says to his followers, you will receive power when? When the Holy Spirit comes on you. And then what are they going to do? And you will be my witnesses. Remember, Joel 2 said, we're going to get the Spirit, and what are we going to do? Speak. And Jesus just said, when the Spirit comes, you're going to have power to be my witness. It's funny that Jesus says there, just wait until he comes. Because what do we not have until the Spirit comes? The power to be witnesses. You remember the first time Peter had the stage to talk about Jesus? It was on a dark evening, and his audience was probably a 14-year-old servant girl. And she said to him, weren't you with Jesus? And he was like, let me tell you the gospel, honey. Right now, he's dying for our sins. And I am so willing to die for this, I believe it with all my heart. Oh, wait, that's not what he said. What did he say? I don't even know him. I don't know him. Why? He's terrified. He's terrified. Because of what it might mean if people find out he follows Jesus. He's afraid. Raise your hand if you're just like Peter. We're afraid. I'm afraid. I'm afraid. And Jesus says, you'll receive 
power when the Spirit comes on you. You'll be my witnesses. And so then they're waiting. I want to follow along just in Acts with you. Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. You see that? It's an important question because the Spirit's going to come. Who was all together in one place? Was it just the apostles? Because you and I, we still think that only the apostles have the Holy Spirit to proclaim. You don't believe that maybe in your mind, but in your hearts, maybe that's what you do. I'd evangelize more if I was an apostle. And some of you think, well, if I was a pastor, I should do that. Matt, give us an update on how you're spreading the gospel to other people is going. Okay. Who's in that room? That's what I want to know. Who's in this room? Who gets the spirit? Well, you've got to back up. The text will tell you. Acts 1.15. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. It's just a Greek word for all the family. Yo, here we, here we are. And how many people was it? 120. So all, all the Christians of the day, a whole 120 of them right there in this little room. Can you imagine? That was it in the whole globe. 120 people. That's who's gathered. And then I, I don't... I'll tell you what happens. The whole, the whole room gets filled with it sounds like a wind. It looks like fire. And the Spirit, the Holy Spirit comes and it, it just hits them. And guess which ones heard the wind and which ones had the fire? Was it just the apostles? No. It was the boys and the girls. It was the old and the young. It was the leaders and the seemingly unimportant. It was all of them. And what did they do? In Acts chapter 2, verse 4, they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And this is legit other languages. So they were going around and talking to people in their home language. And what were they saying? Here's what they were saying. Verse, Acts 2 of verse 11, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. Every Christian has the Spirit, and is telling other people in ways they can understand about Jesus. Isn't that amazing? And Peter says, Acts chapter 2, 16, let me tell you what's going on. Because everybody's seeing this and going, hey, this is crazy. Maybe they're drunk. Peter's like, dude, it's 9 a.m. Even we don't get drunk that early, right? That's not what this is. His answer is in verse 16, this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. Joel said there's going to be blatant wonders. There's going to be a liberal outpouring of the Holy Spirit. There's going to be the taste of salvation in the first two we've seen already through Jesus. Man, blatant wonders. And now in the church, a liberal outpouring of the Spirit to where they're all talking about Jesus. What about number three, the taste of salvation? Well, Peter gives up the Spirit and gives this great sermon. And one of my favorite verses, the people were cut to the heart. They said, what do we do to be saved? And the text tells us 3,000 people got converted. 3,000. And you just went from 120 to 3,120 in the blink of an eye. And those who didn't know God as their father now do. And those who weren't forgiven of their sins now are. They're justified. They're saved. They've called on the name of the Lord, and they've been saved. 
Wonders, check. Spirit poured out, check. Taste of salvation, check. The day of the Lord came. See, now you can say, well, nice. Thanks for the history lesson, Matt. I feel like I understand how Joel connects to the New Testament a little better. Um, Let's have our 4th of July picnics. Joel's prophecy wasn't finished with them. Joel's prophecy is still fulfilled in us. That's the whole point. In you. I need to prove it to you. Look at Acts chapter 8, verse 1. Acts chapter 8, verse 1. There arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria, except, so interesting, except who? The apostles. So what's happening to the church with the persecution? (laughs) Run for the hills, okay? It's okay to run when they come persecute you. It is. But what did they do as they were running? Why are you here as a refugee? Well, you heard about Jesus. They were preaching the gospel. And what's so great about this is who didn't get scattered? The apostles stayed home. So if we were going to think that it's the apostles' job to spread the gospel and the apostles alone, we'd be like, oh, they're in Jerusalem. It's the church that's scattered. The same church that trusts Jesus has the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit liberally. Because who has the spirit in the church? The men and the women, the old and the young, the leaders and the seemingly unimportant. Those who were scattered went about preaching the word. The church preaches the word. Simple logic, it goes like this. If you trust Jesus to save you, and I hope you do, and if you don't, you can right now. If you trust Jesus to save you, guess who you have? You have the Holy Spirit. There's no such thing as like the spiritless Christian. You know, the, the cheap version, the junior varsity, the affordable, the affordable one, you know. I'll just go... No, no, no. Every Christian, if you call upon the name of the Lord, you have the Spirit. And a major difference between the covenants, Old Covenant and New Covenant, is how the Spirit is poured out. So who spread the Word of God, generally speaking, in the Old Covenant? It was prophets. They would would teach. They would preach of God, who He is, and what He's done. And when you think of prophet, we often think of like forth-telling, future-telling. Oh, I know that on Tuesday, you're going to see a white car and a... Yeah, okay. The main deal of a prophet is to take God's word and apply it to the people in the moment. Everything that happened in the future of Israel, even Exodus or even exile, was in Deuteronomy. God said early, hey, you messed this up, I'm gonna send you out. And so when the prophets are saying he's gonna send you out, they were they were making this up from nothing. They were applying God's word to the situation. Now, of course, Old Testament prophecy. God, God made amazing promises of the future. We just read one. But when I tell you you're a prophet, you, you don't have to wear camel skin and eat grasshoppers and hide in a cave and wait for visions of glory. You get in trouble most of the time. Man, we've had our vision of glory. It's in these pages. It's Jesus Christ and who he is. But what I, So what I'm saying is this prophecy... Is fulfilled in Jesus and his church. If, you have the, if you're a Christian, you have the Spirit. And if you have the Spirit, this is, this is the day of the Lord's Spirit from Joel. You have the Spirit and you are called to, you are saved to what? Proclaim. You're saved to proclaim. 
If you're a Christian, you're saved to proclaim. Look at this verse, Matthew 5, 11 to 12. Jesus says, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. <laughs> How many of you are, really? Blessed? Verse 12, rejoice and be glad. So we should be like, yes. Why? Number one. Your reward is great in heaven. It'll be worth it. You'll lose stuff here for belonging to me, but you'll get even more later, and it'll be better. Your reward is great in heaven, but there's a second reason you should rejoice. For so they persecuted the prophets. So your reward is great, and your company is good. Here's a question for me. Why would they persecute you like the prophets of old were persecuted. It's because you're a prophet. Do you see that? You're going to be persecuted like a prophet because you are a prophet. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying make up Bible, okay? You're not the prophet Isaiah. You are prophet Christian with the gospel. And you're meant to share it, and the Spirit enables it. And uh, except for some of you, you're too young. Wait, no. Oh, except for some of you, wrong gender. Wait, no. Some of you, you're too old. Wait, no. Some of you, you're not, you know, like leader people. You just want to be normal people. Oh, wait, no. Who has the Spirit? Christians. And the Spirit calls you to what? Share the gospel. It's liberal. Share the gospel. Proclaim the person and work of Jesus by the power of the Spirit in ways people can understand. Don't you think that's in Acts 2 as well? God didn't just let them proclaim in one language and tell everybody to learn that language. God sent them out to proclaim in the people's language. And take that more than just Spanish or English or Dutch or something like that. Think culture, think context, think where they are, what they already believe. Proclaim, explain Jesus in a way as best you can that fits who they are and where they're at. Where you ask questions, you understand them, you're working back and forth, but you're opening up this gospel to them. Proclaim it in ways they can understand. Because after all, right, there's another day of the Lord. There is another day of the Lord, and Jesus will come back, and he won't be a suffering servant next time. He will be a ruling king. He will bring judgment. He will bring salvation, and we'll see, oh, it mattered. It mattered. It mattered so much. And it's through our proclaiming that all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So what do we do with this? How do we apply this? Number one, call upon the name of the Lord. Call upon the name of the Lord. Humble yourself before God. Receive what Jesus has done for you. God sent his son to live a perfect life. I haven't been perfect or anywhere close to it, but Jesus did it for me. He gives me that standing of perfection before God. What he's done in my place, through faith, it's a gift. Call on the name of the Lord. Jesus took the cross 
as my substitute and yours if we trust in him. You trust in him, all your sins, all your shame paid for, washed away through the cross. Call on the name of the Lord. Jesus rose from the dead. He reigns right now. Call on the name of the Lord. So that's true if you're becoming a Christian. Does calling on the name of the Lord go away after you're a Christian? No. Call on the name of the Lord. How many of you are like, this idea of sharing the gospel with somebody petrifies me? All of you. Especially if you think of different people in your life. Some people you feel comfortable with for some reason. You can talk to them. Other people you're like, no way. Aren't you glad people didn't treat you like that, like the no way person? Guess what you need to do? Call on the name of the Lord. God, you got to fill me with your spirit here. Awaken to me what you've called me to do. Help me to do this. Number one, call on the name of the Lord. Number two, embrace your inner prophet. You're a prophet. Again, let's, let's keep it sane, Okay. I don't want anybody showing up in strange uh, costumes. You're going to read the Old Testament and be like, I, I hid my belt in a mountain. You know, like that prophet. I lay naked on a bench for a year. <laughs> you're not Ezekiel. You're not Jeremiah. You're not Isaiah, okay? No. No. But you have the Holy Spirit to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to the people in your life like nobody else does. You are uniquely you. There are people I can reach, you can't reach as well. There are people you can reach, I can't reach as well. Spread the gospel. Remember Acts 8, the church got scattered. They had to go places they didn't want to go. It's interesting. Jesus said, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And the church was chillaxing at first. And they were still just hanging in Judea and Jerusalem. Nobody's going to the next places. What's one thing God did with that persecution? I told you to, told you to get. You being taken places you don't want to go? Like the hospital? Suffering? Lose a job, change a job? Dropped out of this, have to go to that? It might just be. I'm not saying I know all of what God's doing. I don't. It might just be that some of what God is doing is scattering you so you can preach the gospel to somebody. We have an Arabic church that meets here in the afternoons. Majid, the Egyptian pastor, will tell you story after story after story of how God is using the refugee crisis to bring Muslim peoples to faith in Jesus Christ. I don't know everything God's doing in the world, but I know some of what he's doing, and some of what he's doing is shuffling the deck so that people will hear the gospel. And we as his people are too comfy and lazy to move unless he kicks us out sometimes. You know what I'm saying? See life that way a little bit. Embrace your prophet. Third thing to embrace is embrace the awkward for the sake of love. Isn't it always going to be awkward when you talk about the gospel? Is there any way around this? The cross, what is the cross doing? What is that? God is naked on a, wo- on a piece of wood with nails driven through him. It's, it's not like, it's not a cozy, easy conversation. Why is this happening? To talk about sin and lostness and truth. At some point, you do have to go into places you, 
Jesus said, rejoice and be glad when they persecute you and say false things about you. Why is this happening? Why are they saying false things about us? Is it because we just don't talk much and we're nice little people? Are you going to get persecuted for just being generally a nice person? Not usually. You know what gets people upset? Jesus and talking about him. It does. And we've got to anyway. The prophets of the Old Testament did not get in trouble because they were just kind of nice people. They said stuff. Be humble, be gentle. That's another conversation how to do this. The only point I'm getting out right now is we have to do this. Um, have you ever heard of Penn Jillette? He's an entertainer. Blatant, radical, totally happy about his atheism, atheist. Such an atheist. And he tells the story of somebody giving him a Bible after one of his performances. And usually, he could, he could make fun of anything backwards and forwards and upside down. But he actually spoke with great respect about this man. He said the man was, you can could, could Google it, you can find the video. He said the man was kind, polite, um, but sincere in what he believed. And so in this video, um, he, he gives his opinion of Christians evangelizing. And sometimes we hear people say, oh, you can't evangelize. How, did, how dare you do this? But this guy was different. And he ends up saying in this video, how much do you have to hate someone to believe eternal life is possible and not tell them that? And that's from the atheist. He does not believe in eternal life. He does not believe in Christianity. But he says, how much do you have to hate me if you won't tell me? And this is what confronts us. It confronts me. I think it will confront you. If I won't share my faith at some point, doesn't mean you can go talking about it with every breath and every moment. Of course not. But if I won't share my faith at some point, it's one of two reasons. I either don't think that what I believe is that important, or I don't care that much if somebody else knows it. If I'm not sharing it because I don't think it's a big deal, well, it's not that big of a deal if you know this or not. Right? And by the way, I think it's true for every religion. It's true for atheists. It's true for agnostics. If you think what your, be if your belief system is, is important for people to know, if you really think it's true, you should share it. So one reason for not sharing is you just don't think it's that big of a deal. If you do think it's a big deal and you won't share it, then maybe it's because we don't care that much if the other person knows it. Or the third one is we're so afraid or think we're such, so awkward at it that it's just impossible. So we believe it's true. We care if they know it, but we're just handcuffed by what? Uh, doubts, fears, concerns, whatever they may be. Here's what our text today does. Who do you have as a Christian? The Holy Spirit can fill you with courage, with boldness. So what should that do to the awkwardness, fear kind of thing? And this is what it did for Peter and all the apostles. Do you see the difference between Peter in the end of the Gospels and Peter in the beginning of Acts? He was petrified. He's afraid. He's running. And now he's telling everybody. He writes letters to the church when he knows soon he's going to be crucified upside down. He still keeps going. Amazing boldness. We have the Spirit, right? You, Acts 1-8, you will receive power. So number three is taken away. The first two are left. Is what you believe important to you? You think it's true? 
How important? Do you care if people know it? If we have the Holy Spirit and we're filled with love for God and love for our neighbor, what are we saved to do? Proclaim the gospel. So now I'm with you right in this, right in this. I'm with you. I feel this hunger to want to do it more and do it better. I feel this fear of like, oh, I don't know how. I feel confusion. I don't even know where to start sometimes, okay? You see the examples out in the world. You're like, am I supposed to, you know, wear a sign, pass out propaganda? How do I do this for some of us? Like, I'm so excited about it, I'm going to do it. For a lot of us, that's probably not how we should do it. But here's one thing to speak of. One thing to think of. Pray and ask God who in your life is, who's in your life right now you can rub shoulders with in a new way. I bet there's somebody, if you were prayerful, if you were thoughtful, if you were friendly in a new way, there's a relationship there and you can get coffee or you can get lunch or you can bring it up somehow to talk about Jesus Christ. There's a way. And it's a way that's going to fit who you are and it's going to fit the relationship you already have. And you can share the gospel. Sometimes you go into a whole lot of things to, to not try to do. <laughs> don't, try to, don't try to win a sale every time you meet with somebody. You know what I mean? We, we get that idea. It's like, it's not sales. And it's, not, it's, it's sharing beauty and truth out of love. And don't think it's like, oh, they didn't convert right away. I totally blew it. In my experience, no one ever converts right away. The conversions I've seen and enjoyed have been a process over time with lots of conversations. Have the conversations. Have the conversations. You have the Holy Spirit. The day of the Lord is still happening in our day, in our time. Old, young, boy, girl, leader, seemingly unimportant. Preach the gospel.